Today I want to talk about masterpieces. Uh, masterpieces is this term that we use to talk about something that's extraordinary, right? Uh, it, it defies logic in a lot of ways. It's something that uh, is set apart from just normal, normal things. Uh, the term masterpiece is actually a very interesting term. It's a word that was used uh, during the European guild system. Uh, if a person would uh, go and, and be a, an apprentice under one of these masters, and he would learn the skill and the trade uh, of the various guilds that were out there. They would become a journeyman. Uh, and the last thing that they had to do in order to become a master in the guild was they had to create a masterpiece. Uh, something, whatever it is, if they were uh, a gold spawn, they had to get make a gold golden item uh, that was worthy of being called a masterpiece. It's what they got uh, their title from. But when we think of masterpieces, we think about some of these great pieces of art, don't we? All right, we think about uh, Leonardo and his uh, Mona Lisa or, or The Last Supper, depending on who you are. Maybe we think about Van Gogh and his Starry Night. Maybe we think about Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel and, and the creation of man, the fingers pointing to each other. There's masterpieces in other parts of art as well. In, in uh, music, they, there were great pieces of music that were created. Beethoven had the Sonata in D minor. Vivaldi had the Four Seasons. Mozart had Fantasia. And we could list all kinds of different masterpieces. Within the book of Psalms, there is a psalm that is the masterpiece of the entirety of the book. Uh, it's a psalm that kind of stands out for a number of reasons. Uh, it's infamous for being the largest chapter in the Bible. Uh, and it's a very fascinating psalm, and it's Psalm 119. I want us to kind of look at Psalm 119 over the next couple of weeks. We're not going to look at all of it. All right? It is fairly long, uh, but we are going to look at different sections of this psalm. This psalm is truly a masterpiece, and we, we lose a lot of it in the translation to English. Uh, the Psalm 119 is an alliteration, all right? so that means that every uh, verse begins with a different letter, sort of. The psalm is split up into 22 sections of eight verses. And in each section, all of those verses begin with a letter. All right, so Psalm 119, 1 through 8 begins with the letter Aleph, or A. Uh, and, and the next eight verses, they all begin with the letter B, or Beth. And it goes through the entirety of the Hebrew alphabet, which is only 22 letters long, which is why we get the grand total of 176 verses. It's a long psalm. But within this psalm, there's also different other Hebrew forms of poetry, which just make this one of the greatest psalms ever written. The entirety of the psalm is written about the word of God and how it plays in the lives of its people. And so we want to kind of look at that today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Psalm 119. Uh, you probably could go like this, and you're probably right there, all right, about middle of your Bible. And I want us to read just the first section, the Aleph section. These all verses all begin with letter A in the Hebrew, not in English. Here's what it says in the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. 
Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. They do no wrong, but they follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The psalm begins with this word blessed. Uh, it's a word that, that we often think about in, in our church, right? We think about how God has blessed us and God truly has blessed us in any number of ways. We live in a country that is truly free. Most of the uh, other Christians in the world, they are being persecuted right now to the point of extinction in many countries. Right, but we have the ability to meet on Sunday mornings and to worship together and to take part openly of our freedom that we have in Christ. That's not always the case. We are blessed to be living here. Most of us are blessed to have homes to have regular meals, to have jobs, to be able to pay bills. We are blessed in more ways than what we could even imagine. In the Hebrew, there's two different words for blessed that we translate blessed. One is barak, and that is the term that is often used of God blessing man. God looking at man saying, I am going to bless you because you follow me. Right, but that is not the word that's used in this translation. This, this, in this particular verse, the word is asar, and it's never once used of God blessing man. So we have to kind of think about, readjust in our heads what this psalm is talking about. Right, it's not talking about God's blessing people. No, it's talking about man looking at another human being and saying, you know what, that person is blessed. It's them recognizing that there's something different about that person. And what this psalmist does in these first eight verses is he looks at these men and women that, he, that are doing great things, that are following after God, that he would call blessed people. And he says, wow, I want to be like them. So if we were to truly give this word a, a better understanding, it's, it's the word that we give when we're inspired by people. Have you ever been inspired by someone? Maybe it was your family members. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a public figure. And they inspire us to do things. And that's kind of what this term means. And so what I want us to kind of think about is is this. In our lives, there are people that are inspiring. And I want us to ask the question, how can I be inspiring to other people? Because I think what the psalmist does in these first eight verses is he looks around and he's asked the question, how can I inspire people? And so we want to kind of look at that. We, we want to start off uh, by kind of walking through uh, because we too can inspire people around us. Let's change the slide, Jared. <laughs> We're going to get there. All right. Uh, we, we want us to look at these, at these people that inspire us. And, and when we look at these people that are truly inspiring to us, our teachers, our family, our, or an older person in the community that, that looked at us, uh, sometimes uh, we kind of have two different groups of people in this inspiring people, right? There's the ones that their private lives look a lot like their public lives. 
All right, they don't change when they get behind closed doors. And those are the ones that are truly inspiring and that we should follow after. But then there's this other group of people that are inspiring in public, but they aren't so inspiring once you get to know them behind closed doors. I'm reminded of Bill Cosby recently. I mean, Bill Cosby for years was this guy that that gave comedy when comedy was needed. It's this guy that a lot of people were inspired by that changed a lot of things. I remember growing up watching the Cosby show. Five years, they were the number one show uh, in all of America, and that was pretty fascinating. It's only one of two sitcoms to ever do that. I mean, this, this guy was just this person that everyone looked up to, and then in 2014, everything seemed to crumble. Uh, he had some sexual allegations that were brought forward to the public uh, that had been going around for a while, but then it was publicized. And this man that, that a lot of people looked up to, he wasn't someone that was too inspiring once you got to know him a little bit better. And so we have to we have to look at that. We, if we want to be inspiring to other people, then our private lives need to match up with our public lives, right? It needs to be something that when we go home, we're the same person at home as we are everywhere else. And so that leaves us with that question, how can we be inspiring? How can we do this? And I think the psalmist lists a couple of ways that he we can do this. The first way is that we inspire people when we are blameless in our lives. This term for blameless, it's... It's a very fascinating term. It's this term that's used of, of the sacrifice that you brought to the temple. So when you went to the temple, you, you would often bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And it was usually a lamb, not always, but usually a lamb. And so you would bring your sacrifice. And the type of lamb that you were supposed to bring was a blameless lamb. A, a lamb without blemish is often how we translate it. So it's not the runt of the stock. It's not the one that was born blind. It wasn't the one that has, you know, doesn't look very nice. It was the perfect lamb. And this idea of being blameless is then placed upon us as human beings. And when we use it on human beings, what we're talking about is, is the standard that God has set for us to live, that we're meeting that standard. And that's hard. That's difficult. I mean, if we really think about it, God's standard is pretty high up there, and, and not all of us are able to attain it. In fact, none of us are. When we read throughout the entirety of the Bible, we find a number of things. One is that, that there's not a lot of people that are blameless. Right? In fact, only a handful are called blameless. One of them is Job, and in Job 1.1, uh, we have uh, these words. It says, there was, in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. And so Job was one of this guy that was blameless in everything that he did. But if we look and examine at Job's lives for just a moment, we can see a couple of things. One thing is, Job didn't have a perfect life. I mean, if you read the first two chapters of Job, you see pretty quickly things start to go downhill for him. And so being blameless doesn't mean that you have everything together. It doesn't mean that, that you have the perfect family or that you have the perfect job or that you have the most money. That's not what blameless means. Right? Job had a lot of things going wrong for him. And so if we want to inspire people, it doesn't mean that we have to have the perfect lives. 
Right? That's not what it means. We also look at Job and we think maybe, maybe even though he didn't have the perfect life going for him, maybe he had, you know, he was following and not sinning. And, and one of the things that we read, if we were to read the entirety of Job, is this, that he admits his sins. He says, I have messed up. You know, messing up is one of those things that we don't always like to admit to, right? I remember in uh, fifth grade, I was put into the advanced English class, uh, and, and I was excited. It was the first time we had divided up like that, uh, and I went to English class, and, and I did okay. I aced a lot of it, but there was one area that I did terrible at, and I'm still terrible at, and it's spelling. Right? Some, some of you are like, yes, yes, I know that you're terrible at spelling. Right, uh, if you're in my Sunday school class, you learn that pretty quickly, right? I, I am terrible at spelling, and I remember in fifth grade uh, getting Fs on my spelling tests. And I remember the teacher getting really angry at me and saying, you know what, I think this isn't the class for you. And that, as a fifth grader, like, was devastating because I knew I could do it. I just had a terrible time at spelling. And that's not the first time I had messed up in my life, and it definitely isn't the last time I messed up. You know, I, I mess up with my family. I, I sometimes get very angry at my children. I, I mess up with my wife. I don't always treat her the way I should. I, I mess up. And, and the great thing of looking at Job's life is that even though he messed up, he was still called blameless. And I think for us, it's blameless is not equal to being perfect. I blameless is knowing that when we do mess up, that we run to God. And we ask for forgiveness. And that's what we see Job do at the end of his life. He, he, he begins to repent of his actions of calling out God and saying, God, you need to come tell me why all these bad things are happening to me. And he's in sackcloth and he's in ashes repenting for those things. All right, so being blameless isn't being perfect. Being blameless, though, is following after God's law. In verse 1, that's what we see. It says that blessed are those who are blameless because they walk in the ways, the, uh, in, according to the law of God. Right? And so they're following after the law of God. And, and law is going to be important. This, this term for law is throughout the entirety of Psalm 119. Where the word of God is the entire subject of this, this psalm. Okay? And so in these eight verses that we've read, it's mentioned in seven of them. All right, only one verse doesn't mention it, and, and we'll talk about it here in a second. All right, and in those eight, seven verses that are mentioned in it, the psalmist used six different words for it. All right, trying to give us a broad picture of what this is that they are following after, that they're walking in, that they obey. And this, this gives us a grand picture. It's, it's the law of God. It's the things that are written in stone. It's the judgments of God. It's, it's all these wonderful and beautiful features that are, make up the word of God. And, and to truly understand what it is that, that the psalmist is talking about, I think we have to look at verse 3. Uh, verse 3 is the one verse that doesn't talk about it in any way, shape, or form. And it says this. It says, they do no wrong, but they follow his ways. And so what I think the word of God is, the law of God is, I think it's the ways of God. And I think that the blameless, the ones who are blessed, the one who should be envied, they are ones that 
follow God where he's leading them. And so I think if we want to be blameless, we have to kind of figure out where God is leading us and go after him. Jesus, multiple times in his ministry, came up to men and women and he told them, you are to follow me. And some gave up everything to do just that and and some didn't. And I think that same question is being asked of us even to this day. Are we willing to follow God wherever he takes us? And I think if we do follow God, that is inspiring to other people. So we we can inspire people by being blameless and following God's ways. I think we can also be blameless or inspire people by seeking after God with all of our hearts. That's what he says in the second verse there. They seek after God with all that they are. How many of you ever played hide and seek? Ah, that's a fun one, right? My favorite memories in, in elementary school, early junior high, was playing hide-and-seek uh, in our community that we lived in. Uh, we, we were out in the country, but where we were at in the country, there was a number of kids uh, about my age within a square mile of each other. And I remember one summer night all coming together to my neighbor Ben's house, and, and we all went there, and there was about 12 of us playing hide-and-seek on this couple of acre land of, of woods and ha- barns and that type of stuff. And we got onto teams. It was me and another guy, and we would go out and seek after everybody else. And those are some of my favorite memories. And, and then when I th- read this verse, when he says that we are to seek with, after God with all that we are, this is, the ver- this is what I think of. I think of hide and seek. But the difference is, is that while we are trying to seek God, God is also seeking us. In 2 Corinthians, we read a passage that says the eyes of the Lord are raving throughout the land trying to, what does it say exactly? I'm, I'm trying to quote it from memory, but the eyes of the Lord range throughout the land to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. And so what this verse kind of says is that God is looking out over the earth and he is seeking those who are committed to him in everything. And so when the psalmist says, blessed are those who, who seek after God with their own heart, I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about, are we willing to find God with everything that we are? And as we do that, God is also looking at us. God is that person that's in the field saying, here I am, come get me. I mean, that is what God is doing in our lives. And so I think when we seek God with everything we are, it inspires people Because they see something different in us. Peter, throughout, uh, in one of his letters, says that we are to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. And and what he means by that is is very simple. He's talking about uh, the life that we live. If we are living it truly, fully for God, and we're seeking him with everything that we are, that people will notice They will see what's happening in our lives and they will ask, why? Why are you different? Why do you act that way? And we have to be ready. And I think if we're seeking God with all our hearts, people will notice and they will want to follow where we're going. Uh, So that's that's that one. My screen has disappeared. You can't do anything. Show the next one so I know what my next point is. That I can talk about. We inspire others by not doing wrong to them. 
All right, and, and that's what in the third verse, right? It says that they do no wrong. And, and when we're talking about this wrong, it's not uh, just sin in general, okay? All right, it's how we treat other people. All right, are we kind to them? Are we loving? And that sometimes is the hardest thing for us as Christians, right? Because we see people who are sinning and we're called to love them despite their sins. When we look at these people who, who have private lives that are not as inspiring as their public lives, why are they not inspiring? A lot of times it's because of how they treat people. They're harsh to them. They think they're better than them. They abuse them. And so as Christians, as people seeking to be blessed, as people seeking to inspire other people, we have to think about how we treat each other. And so we have to love. And I think there's a balance here, right? Because we have to love, and yet at the same time, we have to call people to repentance. Well, the way I view it is like a parent, right? All right my kids, every once in a while, they'll get hungry right before dinner, all right? And they'll ask, Dad, can I have some ice cream? Or, Dad, can I have a snack? And I know that if I give them that ice cream or if I give them that snack, I love them and I want to give it to them, but I know if I do, they'll never eat my dinner that I just cooked. And the dinner is probably more healthy than the snack that they're about to eat. And so as a loving parent, I say, no, you can't do that. And so there has to be this balance. And this church, as a church, I don't think in America we've done a good job of this recently, okay? How do we have the balance of loving people, but at the same time recognizing that there is a spiritual health that they have to have? That they can't just keep living a life of sin. Like Jesus with the woman uh, that, that they asked to stone her, right? He said, go and sin no more. He loved her. He didn't punish her. But he said, don't keep doing it. And so I think if we can figure this balance out, if we and I don't know the answer because it's hard. I understand that. All right? But I think if we can figure out this balance and we can love people and we can treat them with respect and we can treat them uh, not as second-class citizens to us as Christians, or that we can treat them uh, as if Jesus loves them enough to die for them, then maybe we can get this part right. And I think if we treat people that way, we will inspire them because we're not like everybody else who just tosses them to the side because they're not worth anything. Right? We need to treat people as Jesus treated them. Right? And so I think we inspire people uh, by by not doing wrong to them. The last thing is this. We inspire people by living God's ways. The very fourth verse says that God gives his precepts and he expects them to be obeyed. You know, God didn't just send forth the, his word and say, you know, do whatever you want to do, but this is what I think you should do. No, God sent his word forth and he said, you are to do it. You're to obey it. All right, and so I think that when we want to inspire people, we have to be willing to live according to the ways of God, whatever that may look like, no matter how difficult that may be. The uh, last four verses of this section that we read, uh, it's very interesting because it kind of correlates to what he's just talked about. He's looked at these people who are inspiring him, who are blessed, who he looks at and says, man, you're awesome. And then he looks at his life and he says this. First, in verse 1, he says, they are blameless and they walk according to the ways of the Lord. In verse 5, he looks at his life and he says, oh, that my walk, that my ways 
were steadfast. In verse 2, he says, blessed are they because they seek God with all of their hearts. And in verse 5, he says, man, if I could be steadfast as I examine all of your commands. Verse 3, he says, they don't do wrong, but they follow God. And he says, I want to praise you with an upright heart as I learn your ways. In verse 4, he says that they, that God has laid down these precepts that are to be obeyed. And in verse Eight, he says, I will obey them. He takes time after examining, examining what is a blameless person, what is a person who is blessed, who inspires, and he examines his life for a moment, and he says, man, I don't quite match up. And I wonder if we could do that same thing. If we could look at these first four verses and look at who it is and what it takes to, to inspire other people, And I wonder if we could apply that to our lives and say, man, I'm good. Or if we'll end up like this guy who says, man, I have a long ways to go. And at the very end of this passage, he says, God, don't forsake me. Because he recognizes in his life that he is not one of these blameless people, that he messes up and that he's not quite there. And he's asking in mercy, God, Don't leave me. I think those words are probably the most inspiring thing in this passage. That even though he is not there, he wants God to stay with him. And God promises throughout Scripture that he will not forsake us. That he is with us. So I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, We can see a lot of areas that we need work in. But I think as we work in them, God will bless us and God will work with his might inside us and he will get us to that place where we are inspiring. Where people look at us and they ask why. And we get the opportunity to say it's because of Jesus. And then we become more and more in the image of the Son. They will recognize how great God is in this world and it'll be for his glory that these things happen so let us be people who are blameless in our lives let us be people who are seeking God with all of our hearts let us be people that are trying to follow God and obey his commands and everything and as we do that we will inspire other people will you pray with me dear God we are grateful for all that you do in our lives We are grateful for Jesus. We're grateful that he called us to follow him. We're grateful that even though we don't always get it right, that you are there to bless our mistakes, to have your glory be about you and and nothing that we do. I pray in our lives, Lord, that we will seek to be inspiring to other people, that we will seek to be blameless, that we'll seek you with everything that we are, that we will follow you in all the ways that you've commanded. I just pray, God, that you help us in this. As we cry out, don't forsake us, Lord. I pray that you stick to your promise, that you will never leave us. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus who gives us the ability to be blameless in him. I ask this I ask for your blessing in your name. Amen.